Uh, I know I haven't used a video in several weeks, only to show you that I can preach sermons without videos, um, although I do think in videos. And at this time, I guess the children are leaving, as well as the candy. You guys taking candy there, Troy? You got candy? Or Steve? All of it. Okay, well, probably better for me. The video that I have that I'd like to open with is one that I used here, I think maybe six years ago or so, uh, five or so. It, uh, I think, captures the way our world often sees Easter. So I'd like to ask Royce to lower the lights. And this thing only lasts about 46 minutes, but it will set the tone, I hope, for you. To 46 seconds. Minutes, seconds. At least some of you are listening. I appreciate that, too. So. I go to church every Easter. Can't remember when I didn't attend some church, somewhere, on Easter weekend. But if you want me to be totally honest. And totally transparent. I gotta admit something to you. I'm not sure how the story of the empty tomb affects my life. Affects my life. Affects my life. Please understand, I'm not questioning whether or not it can change my life. I'm pretty sure there's something in the story that could speak to me. I'm asking the hardest question of all. I'm asking you. I'm asking you. I'm asking you. So what? So what? So what? That empty tomb... Christ's resurrection, his victory over death, is central to our faith. It is the foundation of Christianity. Without it, there's no reason to get together. In fact, there's nothing considered to be the Christian faith if it weren't for the resurrection. Stand with me, please, as we look at John, the 20th chapter. I'm going to read the verses that I read at the sunrise service, as well as the verses for today. John 20, verses 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Then he bent over and looked in, and saw the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, 
one at the head and one at the foot. They ask her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Let's pray. Father, we live in a time where many say, so what? And if as Christians we are not ready to engage, if we are ill-prepared to understand how we must trust and believe in this resurrection story will just continue to produce generations who say so what help us in this hour to believe to understand to confess and profess our faith in Jesus we celebrate a risen savior and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please take your seats. So, and I've preached this passage many, many times. In fact, I think I used the John passage last year because we were still in the book of John. And here we are in 2023 and we're still in the book of John. Someday we will get out of the book of John. And that monitor's not on, not that I need it, but I just want to make sure where I am on my slide. It's okay. Um, in this text today, I want us to consider there are three disciples, if you will. There's the one who is called the Beloved. You know him as John. He's the, he's the author of this gospel, and he refers to himself frequently as the one that Jesus loved. I mean, he kind of like pats himself on the back, and, and, and I think that's okay. Because we could all pat ourselves on the back and say, I am the one that Jesus loved. But he sees and immediately believes. The second disciple is Peter. Sees the same thing that John has seen, but there's no indication that he believes anything. He leaves scratching his head. And then there's Mary. The one who sees... The same things. In fact, she saw it first, went and told the disciples. She's the reason they're there. In the Orthodox tradition, they call her the apostle to the apostles. She's the first one, the first missionary. But she's surprised into finally believing when she hears the master call her by name. In each of these, I think we can find ourselves... Because one time or another, we have been that way. The one who saw and believed, the one who saw and didn't know, and the one who needed to have, hey Cliff, or hey Mary, I'm here. 
Obviously, John could have written a much less complicated section. He could have said something like, hey, me, John, the one Jesus loves so much. I mean, he loved me a lot. And I'm faster than Peter. He's a little overweight. I beat him to the tomb. I did. And Mary, oh yeah, she tagged along too. And we saw all the stuff, and we all believed. And then it would be much easier for us to go ahead and, you know, okay, cool. We should see that and, and believe it as well. But John leaves room for us in this text this morning. Because each of you have been at those different struggling points or those different places in your spiritual walk at one time or another. Some of you have seen and immediately believed. Some of you have seen and left confused. Some of you need to hear the master call you by name. So today, each of you, whether you are certain, questioning, or longing to hear your name, I say unto you, so what? Believe. Believe, for he is risen. And that's the so what of the empty tomb. And the first thing I'd like for us to consider as we look at this passage just briefly today, believe for forgiveness. That's why we believe. That's a so what? For forgiveness. Paul, in his letter to the church at Corinth, and I know I told Dan this this morning, I said, this is not typically something I would share on Easter. Nothing wrong with it, but you stay within the gospel. But answering that question of so what? The empty tomb, so what? The resurrection, so what? Well, Paul writes very clearly. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Let me say that again. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And then verse 17, you ought to highlight this one in your Bible. And if Christ has not been raised then your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. So what? You believe for forgiveness. You believe that Christ died on the cross for each one of us and for our sins. John was the fast one who got to the tomb. Was he younger? Was he more, you know, athletic? Well, I got to thinking about that a lot this week uh, as I get older and in my running days or Brenda and I, as we had our vacation, we used to run this. There's a mile track where we go, or a mile out and a mile back. And the first time I went, I was still on active duty. And I would run a mile out and run a mile back. Then the next couple years we went, I would run half mile out, maybe a half mile back. And then this time, I ran a quarter mile, and I said, let's go back to the cabin. I didn't. We, we still went all the way down and back, but there was a lot more walking. So I'm thinking, well, maybe Peter is really older. But think about it. When is the last time that Peter has saw Jesus prior to the resurrection? When he's warming himself by the fire, and he's asked three times, aren't you one of his? And three times, because Jesus, read reread John as he describes this very vividly, he is there. Peter is there. In fact, John had to get him in because John was known 
by some of those in the leadership there. And John got Peter in, and Peter consistently denies him. So it's kind of like if you'd done something bad, young people, if you done, and I know most of them left, or old people, if you did something bad, did you rush home to see your father and mother? I'd take two buses home before I got home. Yeah. But he finally goes in. So <clears throat> that's one reason, I think. But John sees this pile of clothing and an empty tomb, and it says he saw and believed. The Greek word is pistuo, which means to understand, to place faith, to believe. And some of you would say, so what? I placed my faith and my trust in him a long time ago. And I'll say, John, are you out there this morning? Some of you are like John. You can't understand why no one believes. You can't understand why this church isn't full. Because you want to be here, and because of what Christ has done for you, you expect others to think it and to receive it just as simply and easily as you did. Hmm. John believed in the risen Savior at that point. So what? If you haven't believed, you're still dead into your sins. In fact, there's no other way to heaven but through Jesus. And I know there are a lot of groups that want to advocate other things, but Buddha will not take you there. Muhammad will not take you there. No politician or preacher will get you there. Only Jesus. John writes in his epistle, the first letter he writes called John, 1 John 2, verse 2, he says that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the world. So I ask you again, John, are you out there this morning? Many of you are. Many of you are just like him. You got up here on Easter, and you said, hey, where is everybody? He's risen. Yeah, some of you, okay. Maybe there aren't as many Johns as I thought there were out there, yeah, so... But you understand, and you don't understand why others are still struggling. But not everybody comes to faith that way. In fact, in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, only John is the only one who sees and believes immediately. Simon Peter walked in and then turned around and walked home scratching his head. He did not believe at that point or understand that Jesus had risen from the dead. He was confused, even though he saw the same evidence that Peter did. Some of you today might be thinking that everybody here has that glow of Easter except me. No, I'm not talking me. I'm talking about if I'm talking for you. I have that glow, I'm sure, I hope. I'm hot from that hot water. Yeah. But some of you are thinking, they're so excited, but I don't know if I really understand it all. I'm a little bit skeptic here. I'm maybe a little bit like Peter, scratching my head. So I ask you this morning, Peter, are you here? I remember well one class that I took at Boston University. Um, we were talking about the Easter Sundays that we had all had that previous week. This is a theology class. It was a preaching class, actually. And uh, this one guy said, hey, yeah, when I was preaching, he said, you know, it was a great service, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we're all, how big was your service? You know, uh, what'd you preach on? Well, I preached on the resurrection. <laughs> Wouldn't you too on Easter? And eventually he said, I'm standing outside shaking hands. 
And he said, this older lady came out, and she said, preacher, she said, the music was spectacular. The preaching was wonderful. The flowers, the children in their new outfits, everything was amazing. And he said, I'm smiling, and my smile is getting bigger and bigger. And then he said, she hit me right between the eyes. She said, I just wish I could believe it all. Wow. Not sure I would have been prepared for that. But Jesus is. For those of you who are Peter-like and who are skeptical at this point, let me call your attention. You don't have to go back there. But here's the guy who's denied Jesus three times. And if you go to Mark's account of the resurrection story, when the angel tells Mary to go back and get the disciples, he says, go back and tell his disciples and Peter too. Look at Mark 16. Go back and tell the disciples and Peter too. You know, Peter got a personal invitation to come and now believe. If you were skeptical, if you thought what I had done would cause the friction or a break between how Jesus loved me, I denied him, I didn't believe, he's saying, the angel's saying for Jesus at this point, go back and get all of them, Peter too. So this morning, if you're doubting and scratching your head, insert your name there because he's calling you by name. And that's our second point, that we need to believe for eternal life. Mary had seen the empty tomb. She came face to face with Jesus, but yet she didn't understand. She was bogged down in her own grief, in her own pain. She had come to the tomb to cry. She'd come to the tomb to anoint a dead body, which once again is just outside of religious practices of the day. Practicing Jews, Orthodox Jews, would never touch a dead body. That's why they got them in the ground quickly. But she had come to anoint the one who had cast seven demons from her. She had lost her focus. And at this point, she lacked the faith to even understand that Christ had risen from the dead. Eternal life wasn't even in the picture for her. So I ask you this morning, Mary, are you here? Mary, are you here? We sing hallelujah. All this business of hallelujah, all this, he is risen, he is risen indeed. All this celebration stuff is difficult for you because you're still carrying a sack of grief. Maybe someone recently precious to you has died and now you're overwhelmed with that pain. Maybe it was your job that just died. Maybe it was a relationship that died. And the dream that you had for that relationship died with it. Maybe it's your health. You thought if you ate acorns and tree bark and grass, you'd be healthy the rest of your life. And now the doctor says, no. This is going to kill you. Death had stolen Mary's joy. So hold on to that thought for just a second. We had an Easter egg hunt this morning. How many of you here got to see that? We had more candy and more eggs than we had kids. I'm serious. We, we got candy running out the ears. So Dan and I and Steve will be eating candy. No, we won't. We'll save it for a Cornival parade. But if you've ever watched children on an Easter egg hunt, it, it's precious and sometimes... 
um, humorous to watch, especially little ones. They, they will bend down to pick up an egg, and as they're bending down, the basket turns one way, and the eggs fall out that they already had. So they stand up, and they put the one they just found, and they like, never get more than one or never get one at all. Or, or you have bigger ones and older ones, and sometimes the bigger ones will slip by and take one from the younger one's basket. And then sometimes, like I watched this morning, there were so many eggs out there, but all the kids were out there running past the eggs. Why were they running past them? They were looking for the golden egg that had a special prize attached to it. I'm sure there's a sermon in that, how many times we've run past the, the eggs of life looking for the golden one. But that's Mary. She had come to Easter, and someone had stolen her Savior. Where did he go? Someone's had to take him. And, and she feels like already he's, he's left her, but now he's even further away because there's no body in the tomb. Then he calls her by name, Mary. Remember what he said in John 10? He talks about his children are his sheep, and he is the, he is the good shepherd. And he said, my sheep know my voice, and I call them by name name. Sometimes it takes calling us by name to call us out of the confusion and the grief of life. While we were stationed in England in the early 90s, uh, we had just my oldest son at that time. Uh, our second son was born in England, so he's a, a Brit, if you want to know. No, he's not. We had to declare at that point whether he's going to have a... He has both a British birth certificate and an American birth certificate. But it's just Brenda Tull and I, and we'd been there like two or three days. And, and those of you who've been in the military, you know, you've been in TLF, you didn't have hardly anything. So we went to the officer's club. And having come from Lackland, that I seldom went to the club, Coonson, I went to the club a lot because that was like the place to eat. And I thought, well, maybe it's, we'll find the happy mix here. We'll go to the, the club at Lake and Heath. And it was late. You know, we got there in February, so it's dark. England is dark after 4 o'clock, it seems like, in the afternoon at that time of year. So it's dark and dreary. But we're kind of entertaining ourselves. We're our own little three, you know, family of three, and we're having fun at dinner. And there's a, another table nearby that has got uh, two people at it that, uh, am I dying? Oh, you're trying to think, Royce, you're such a hero. That's army for you right there. Go, Royce. You know why he did that, don't you? There's a clock back there. And if Cliff doesn't see the clock, he's liable to go for 46 minutes. But we're there eating, and there's a table beside us, and there's a couple kids there, and uh, the mom and dad. And the kids are right at that point, you know, because the food hadn't come, and they're getting a little frisky. And mom and dad are kind of disengaged. I, I can't remember if they were talking to each other or what. And Brent and I just went over this conversation because she said, oh, your memory's better than mine. I said, well, it's a preacher event, so I can kind of, you know, embellish it. But no, I, I won't. Um, but I'm entertaining Tull with hanging spoons on my nose. Have you ever hung a spoon on your nose? You kind of exhale on it, it gets a little moisture on it, and it will hang on your nose really well. So he and I are having a great time. He's about two, two and a half at the time, and we're just hanging spoons. And I saw these kids really, you know, acting up, or not. They weren't really acting up. They're being kids, you know. So I just put the spoon back on my nose and turn around and look at them. And they saw me, and they like, oh, that was phenomenal, man. And they were so focused at that point. And then the dad saw me, and later I found out he was one of the group commanders. And I was uh, <laughs> just the young, barely captain chaplain. And he said, uh, what's your name? 
I said, uh, <laughs> Smith? <laughs> he actually uh, became active at the chapel. And I don't even remember at that time if they were new to the base or not. But uh, wherever I was, he would say, Chapman Perry, got your spoon? Call me out with a spoon all the time. And it's been a long time since I've hung a spoon on my nose, and I'm not going to do it today, although I could. Haven't done it in a restaurant in forever. Maybe I'm not as carefree as I used to be. Maybe I am more reserved. Maybe I'm busier. Maybe I'm just too preoccupied. And some of you are sitting here saying, so what? Well, maybe you too have become too preoccupied. Maybe you've become so busy, so burdened with the pain of this world that you have forgotten the joy of believing in a risen Savior. Jesus calls your name this Easter not to hang spoons, but to rejoice in his love and victory over death. Easter releases us from the fear of death. I know, I think you, I, I try to listen. I think you quoted, you know, death, where's your sting, right, at the sunrise service. That's further on in 1 Corinthians 15. Those of us who have experienced death of a loved one know it's painful. Where's your sting? It's still there. But it's only because you know who Jesus is that that sting can be tolerable and even turned into joy because we know this is not the end. Mary can represent each of you in some way. And so it is precisely into that situation of pain and suffering that Easter must burst forth from. Listen. Easter does not happen here with the beautiful flowers, the great music, the mediocre preaching. Easter doesn't happen at the dinner table while I'm hanging spoons with my grandkids and all the food in the world that you can dive into. Easter happens in the ER when the doctor comes and says we couldn't save him or her. Easter happens at the funeral home when you see your loved one and the first sight of them in that casket takes your breath away. Easter happens in the alleys and the dark places where men and women use drugs or whatever they want to do to be away from the rest of the world and slowly they're killing themselves. Easter happens in a nursing home where people who have lost their strength and virility. And once again, I, I've told you this before, and I know there's a time in your life when you won't let your kid on the ladder because you've got to be on the ladder. And then there's a time in your life when you get on your ladder, the ladder and the kids won't let you on the ladder. You know what I'm talking about? My kids are starting to do that with me, and it really bothers me. I think I'm going to hit one of them just to show I've still got a little gas in the tank. But in the nursing home, when once strong-bodied men and women see their friends dropping off or they're bound to a wheelchair, knowing that life has come down to this waiting for death, Easter happens where death is. It's the place that we need him most to understand that there is something after this life, and it is because of his victory over death. It is because his father loved us enough to restore the broken relationship by sending Christ Jesus is our sacrifice, our perfect lamb. I was talking earlier, I said, uh, 
fine Methodist, William Sangster, S-A-N-G-S-T-E-R. I think he was born right at 1900, died, I think he was only in his 60s when he died. He, he's known for trying to help the Methodist church stay true to the Bible. And I would say, where's William Sangster today? Where's William Sangster in the Baptist churches and in every church to stay true to God's holy word? But Sangster, uh, whatever disease he had, um, form of MS or ALS, he uh, basically lost his ability to move. And eventually he lost his ability to speak. And as he was near death, it was Easter, and he wrote a lengthy note to his daughter, and this has been quoted many times, so obviously I've never seen the note, but I believe it to be true. He said to her, how terrible it is on Easter to have no voice to say, he is risen, he is risen indeed. However, how worse it is to have a voice and not be willing to say, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Will you listen for his voice as he calls you today by name? Whether you're confused, he's here to straighten you out. Whether you think like he would never want to love you because of what you've done, he's here to say, I love you. In fact, you are the one I love the most because he loves each one of us the most. Stand with me, please, as we pray, as we talk about believing. Father, as we come now to this time of invitation, if there's one here who's never professed their faith in Jesus, what a day it would be to say, I ask Christ into my life on Resurrection Sunday. On an Easter Sunday, I heard the good news. And that's what? So what? It's because I believe in that risen Savior that I might have life after this life that I might walk in this world and be a messenger of his. Lord, whatever decision there is to make, perhaps there are some here who just want to come to these steps and pray. This time of invitation is open for that type of decision. It's open for those who might want to come and just ask someone to pray with them. Whatever decision your people have to make, Lord, give them your power. Let them fill your Holy Spirit and let them respond to this call because you call us by name. This I pray in Jesus' name.